Bible today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, but we're also going to be looking in Acts chapter 2 as well. And what we see here in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus talking with the disciples, instructing them, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of that promise, the Holy Spirit being poured out. We also see the immediate impact of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of you know that we're in Assemblies of God Church, and for those of you that didn't, well, we are. We're in Assemblies of God Church. And what we believe, not just as a church, but what we believe as a fellowship, and we teach this, is that the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, is available to each and every believer. You don't have to be far along in your walk with God. You don't have to be, like, well-versed in anything. The Holy Spirit is available to each and every person. And we also believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we are given this power to be witnesses, to live boldly, to go boldly, and to be all that God has called us to be. And this morning we're going to look at how what we read in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, how that, yes, it was relevant then, but it is still relevant and still needs to be practiced today, now more than ever. The big idea that I mentioned last week that we're going to be looking at over these next couple weeks is that the church, we are called to be witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what? To impact our community, but also beyond that, all at the same time while living out our faith for the world to see. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I know some folks, and especially those of you that may not have grown up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in an Assemblies of God church, so I'm very familiar with it. But for some people, and unfortunately some churches, when they hear the Holy Spirit, they kind of put them at arm's length of like, yeah, that's nice, he's part of the Trinity, but you stay over there. Let us do what we're going to do. That's where they go wrong. The Holy Spirit, he shouldn't be treated like this odd one out of the Trinity. He shouldn't be kept at arm's length. If anything, our churches should be embracing the Holy Spirit, embracing the power that comes with it to help us move forward. And the Holy Spirit, he is far from something weird, far from something mystical. He is another part of the Trinity that is important. He is a critical component to the mission of the church in carrying out the word of God. And if we think about it and do some looking through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit was present from the very beginning. Even when the earth was void and empty, the Holy Spirit was present. Genesis 1-2 tells us the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He was present even then. All throughout the Old Testament, guess what? We see the work of the Holy Spirit. We see the mention of the Spirit of God. We see it mentioned with judges, different judges, different prophets, different kings. King David, for example. When Samuel anointed him, what does the scripture say? It says the Spirit of God came upon him. It's the same Spirit 
that is alive and well today. It's not something different. Moving forward into the New Testament, what do we see? We see the Holy Spirit present. We see the Holy Spirit present with Mary. Jesus was conceived through the Holy Spirit. For gracious sakes, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. The Holy Spirit was also present at Jesus' baptism. He descended like a dove. John the Baptist even mentions that, yes, I baptize with water, but the one that comes after me, he's going to baptize with fire. He mentions this. The Holy Spirit is the one that anointed Jesus' ministry. The signs, wonders, and miracles that Jesus performed, guess what? It was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't just walking around like some magician. The Holy Spirit, yes, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, but Jesus was able to operate that way through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that we've now mentioned in the Old Testament, the New Testament, we then see this Spirit promised to the disciples in Acts 1.8. We then see the fulfillment of this in Acts 2, 1 through 4. So it's pretty clear in Scripture what the task of the Holy Spirit is. And Jesus even says it in Acts 1, 8, that you will receive power to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is meant for more than power and more than just to help us witness. The Holy Spirit is to help us live, guide us, direct us, comfort us, to be with us. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're going to explore three different things this morning. We're going to explore, one, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Then we're going to explore what the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing is we're going to explore the outpouring, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. If you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, we're going to read um, verses 1 through 11 together. And then we're going to jump over and read Acts 2, 1 through 4 together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he has had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then if we look over at Acts 2, 1 through 4, we read here, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven to sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the first point this morning, and we see it in Acts 1, 1 through 5, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them, wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the Holy Spirit. What does promise mean in this case? Well, for us, if I look at you and say, hey, I promise to do this, I'm giving you my word. I'm telling you, basically, I'm going to follow through now with what I'm doing. I promise to follow through on this. In this case, promise takes on a whole different meaning here. And we see in Luke 24, 49, the Holy Spirit, it's not just a promise given by just anybody. The Holy Spirit is a promise given by the Father. The Father, him, the Father God promised the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 1, 8 reiterates what the Holy Spirit will do. Acts 1, 4 reiterates what that promise is. Jesus tells them, wait for the promise of the Father. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then later in Acts 2.39, we see exactly who this promise is for. It's not just for a few people. It's for you and your children. It's for everybody. Okay, so we get, we get it. We get that something's promised. What's the big deal here? Let's read Joel 2.28 to 29 together. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now remember, Joel is in the Old Testament. This is now a prophecy telling that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all of you. He goes as far, Joel goes as far to even mention male and female servants. Why is that important? Well, historically, servants, when it came to like the list of hierarchy in like the human and um, social circles, were kind of down here. They were left out often. But they were now grouped into who the Spirit of God was going to be poured out upon. In the Old Testament, it's important to notice this, that God was very selective in who he poured his Spirit out on. Very selective. And what was so critical with what we read here and what we then see unfold in the New Testament is that God was not being selective anymore. He opened the door and gave the opportunity for everyone to receive the Holy Spirit. He promised it to everyone. And that's why it's so important that Jesus emphasizes to his disciples, wait for that promise. Because think about this for a moment. We know that there was about 120 of them that were gathered in the upper room. So the Holy Spirit gets poured out on 120. Wow. And then we see things move fast. Peter's standing up preaching to thousands of people. Peter, of all people, he was considered a shy, very quiet guy. The power of the Holy Spirit, he gets up and boldly preaches probably one of the best sermons ever. And what happens? People get saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't stop there. It keeps going and going and going. So think about it. If Jesus didn't really emphasize to them, wait, 
if he didn't say anything and a bunch of them left, and let's say one or two of them remained in Jerusalem, sure, it could have had an impact. The Holy Spirit's not limited. But he knew it was so important for them to wait. The promise of the Holy Spirit, when you encounter the Holy Spirit, it brings something new. It brings an invigoration to life in a very powerful and a very life-changing way. And like I said, this promise, it wasn't just given by anybody. It was given by God himself. And there's one thing you can count on in life, and I want to tell you that this morning. You can always count on the promises of the Father. He has promised to never leave us. He has promised never to forsake us. He has promised to protect us, to provide for us, to comfort us. So I dare say, I'm going to step out on a limb here and say when God the Father says, I will pour out my spirit on you, your children, and everybody who asks, take that to the bank. There's no way that promise isn't going to come through. He promised to send the Holy Spirit, like I said, to lead us and guide us, to teach us, to work in us and through us. And guess what? He has done this. We see this all throughout Scripture. We see this in the past. And he's continuing to do that. So this morning, when it comes to the promise of God, lean into it. And even if you think it's going to break, and crumble under the pressure. Test it. Really lean into it. It's not going anywhere. The promise of God, it's not going to break. We've been given the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is a wonderful thing. And what comes with it, like I said, it's very life-changing and empowering. And I dare say it's something that can only be given from heaven on high along with the promise of the Holy Spirit comes the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that broken down in Acts 6 through 11 when Jesus tells his disciples, you will be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and he goes on. He tells them this. What's interesting, though, is the disciples, being the human beings that they are, they don't get this right away. They don't get what he's saying here. It's very evident because they immediately look at him and say, so are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Your leader's just telling you wait for the promise of the Father, and you're concerned about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel? Well, and he makes it very clear to them and says, it's not for you to know the time of this. That's for the Father to worry about. And so they probably naturally were like, well, what is our business? And Jesus makes it very clear to them and tells them in Acts 8, here's what your business is. Receive the Holy Spirit, power to be my witnesses. That's your business. The bottom line here is Jesus didn't want them to keep to themselves what they had seen and what they had heard. He wanted them to take it and go beyond You may be sitting here this morning right now thinking, there is no way that God wants to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? You're wrong. He not only wants to fill you, he wants to baptize you to the point of overflowing. 
The other day, when it was 95 degrees out, I had our girls' pool out back, and I went out and threw the hose in it to fill it up so it could get warm throughout the day. Well, I got wrapped up in doing something in my office, and about two hours passed. And I realized, oh, no, the hose has been on for two hours. And I go look out. Water is just pouring out of this pool all over the ground. The, like, the grass is soaked. It's running into the driveway. It's everywhere. Guess what? That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to fill you to that point. He doesn't want to fill you to the recommended fill line. He wants to fill you till your yard becomes muddy. He wants to fill you till the water's rushing down the street, affecting everybody that you come in contact with. That's what he wants to do. And let me tell you, I am living proof of that. I never thought I'd be a pastor up here preaching before you, but guess what? Holy Spirit had other ideas. And I've seen it multiple times through different people. I've seen it in my wife. I've seen it in friends. The Holy Spirit gets a hold of them and, whoa, it's amazing to see what comes next. Just like the pool I mentioned gets filled to that point, we need to press in to the Holy Spirit and seek it to that point. When we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're given power to be, to go, to serve. We are given the power to complete exactly what God has called us to do. And that's different for each one of us, yes. But the Holy Spirit has given us the power to complete that. The Holy Spirit gives us the power over our limitations. He gives us the power to get over obstacles, to become overcomers. Whatever you're going through in life and you think it's impossible for me to get through this, with the Holy Spirit, nothing's impossible. You can get through it. He gives us the power over shyness. He gives us a holy boldness. He gives us the power over our words. And we'll get more into that in a little bit. He gives us the words to say. And that's scriptural. Even when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit knows what to pray through us to the Father. And the best part is, guess what? We don't even have to study or take an exam to learn that language. It's just given to us. Operating in the Holy power of the Holy Spirit, there is absolutely nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in our way. In Zechariah 4, 6 through 7, we see, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by my might nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone and shouts of grace, grace to it. So we've looked at the promise of the Holy Spirit. We looked at the power of the Holy Spirit. The final thing we're going to look at here is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in Acts 2, 1 through 4, where they're gathered in the upper room. So now, when Jesus ascended into heaven, it had been about 40 days after he uh, rose from the dead. He then tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait. They go back to Jerusalem, and it's about 10 more days before this happens. Because the word Pentecost, it... it actually means 50. So they wait about another 10 days. So imagine with me for a second the anticipation 
that is building in this room as they're praying, fellowshipping with each other of like, what is this promise that he's talking about? Like, he told us to wait. It's been five, six, seven days. Now we're going on day 10. What's going on? It kind of reminds me of the Sunday night services we used to have back when I was growing up in the church. And you knew, walking in, you knew if the guest speaker got up and started talking about the Holy Spirit, you knew we were going to be there for a while. And you knew that we were going to be waiting in the presence of the Lord. The disciples were doing that. They were waiting. For those individuals gathered in the upper room, the waiting was about to come to an end. What does the scripture tell us? It tells us that suddenly, not over the course of a few minutes, not over a couple hours, a couple days, suddenly, the sound of a mighty rushing wind comes flooding in. Fire appears and then separates into individual tongues, accompanied with the physical evidence of speaking in other tongues. Why is all of this important? Well, let's break this down a little bit. The wind was representative of something. You have to look back into the Old Testament for this. God used wind to show and announce that his presence, he was there, and something amazing was about to happen. And and we see that in multiple different places in the Old Testament. The fire is important because that's another way God's presence was manifested. In the burning bush with Moses, the prophet Elijah, Even when the Israelites were crossing the desert, how did God guide them in the evenings? With a pillar of fire, showing them, my presence is here. I am here with you. The speaking in tongues, what's important with that? Well, a couple things. One, we do believe that it's the physical evidence of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, there are other things that come with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Power, boldness. The gifts of the Spirit are more magnified. But above all, we believe the only initial physical evidence is that of speaking in tongues. And the reason this is important in this context here is because at the time they were in the upper room, the feast and festival of Pentecost was happening in the city. Thousands of people were gathered in the city. So when they began speaking in other tongues and people started hearing in their own language from people that were not from their country, giving praise, honor, and glory to God, it was a sign of something. It was a sign that the word of God was now going to be brought to everyone, regardless of barriers. It was going to be brought to everyone. And the experience of being filled and speaking in tongues, it's very specific to the New Testament because, like I said, think about it. In the Old Testament, God was very selective in who received the Spirit. In the Old Testament, we don't just see it here in the book of Acts. We see it beyond that. We see that they laid hands on them, prayed with them, and they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It's all throughout the rest of the scriptures, multiple times. Even to the point at one, somebody comes to Peter and says, this group of folks has turned their life over to Christ, and they've been baptized. He goes, great, have they been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, no. So Peter and a couple of the, fo- of the disciples go, pray with them, and guess what? They receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When, why is that important? Because they're two separate things. Water baptism is important, 
and is something that needs to be done by all believers as uh, um, following Christ. Spirit baptism is a whole separate thing. And like I said, it brings power and boldness. And they're two separate experiences, but they're wonderful experiences. So now, I mentioned about the physical evidence of speaking in tongues. Some people, when they hear that, they're like, all right, this guy's about to get weird and crazy. No, I'm not going to get weird and crazy. Trust me, I've seen weird and crazy, and it's not good. I want to ask you this question. When it comes to a gift from God, since when is it weird? Why do we make it a weird thing? Why do people try to overcomplicate it? I've seen this too. I've seen it try to be forced upon people. All I have to say is by doing that, you're becoming a roadblock to that individual receiving what God wants to give them. The bottom line is this. If God wants to give you a gift, take it. Simply take it. It's there for the taking. I've got a question. Hey, boys, would you like a lollipop? You want one? There you go. No. You're going to take it? Go ahead. You want one? It, it's not a trick, guys. Just... Mike, do you want a lollipop? Yeah. There you go. Odessa, would you like a lollipop? There you go. Graceland, would you like a lollipop? Maddie, do you want a lollipop? There you go. Here you go. As, so, as, well, as easy as Mike and Odessa took it and my girls took it, guess what? The gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's as simple as that. It's there. God is literally holding it out, saying, take it. Just take it. Now, I didn't come up with that illustration. I stole that from somebody. I stole that from Greg Hubbard. And if, any, if I'm going to steal anything when it comes to preaching on the Holy Spirit, I mean, I could preach the man's whole sermon. No, I'm kidding. I'm not doing that. But no, I, I cannot take credit for that illustration. But it's as simple as that. I have heard countless sermons sat in many services and seen some weird, weird things. But two years ago, this man came and spoke, and he simply did a small gesture like that with a young girl in the audience. And I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I've seen it clicked again with me of like, wow, it really is that simple. We don't have to make this some crazy thing. When we receive this gift from God, it brings us into a deeper relationship, a deeper level with God. We're given this form of now communication. And guess what? Like I said, there's no homework. You don't have to learn this language. It's just given to you. God wants to take each and every one of us deep with him. He wants to empower us to be his witnesses. And I want to encourage you something. Instead of avoiding it and running from it, stop where you're at turn around, run towards it. It's a free gift. It's available to each and every one of us. It's available to Mike. It's available to Chris. It's available to Jerry, Richard. It's available to me, my wife. It's available to our children. There's no limit on who it's available to. All God asks you to do is just 
ask. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he's not looking for a room in your life. He's not looking for a backyard spot. He's looking for 100% surrender. He wants to take residence in you completely. Now, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit does come into your life. It's that next step of will you surrender? Will you allow him and give him the room to move in you and to empower you to the point to where it's overflowing? If Mike could come back up and we're going to get ready to close here in just a moment. As Christians, we often pray and we often hear it prayed, Holy Spirit, have your way. Every Sunday when I pray to open this service, I pray that the Holy Spirit is free to move and has his way among us. Something that's been very heavy on my heart, and I firmly believe that God is not just speaking it to me, he's speaking it to us as a church. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, we need to completely, without reservation, surrender control and give him room to do what he does best. We need to do it in our lives individually, our families, our church. I'm here to tell you something this morning. This church, Life Connection Church, will, al will always, without a question in my mind, give room for the power of the Holy Spirit to move among us as he sees fit. It is my job and my role as the pastor and the shepherd of this church to be in tune with that and to flow with it wherever God leads. There may be some Sundays I may not even get up here and preach. We may just be worshiping God. We may just be praying. But I'm here to tell you, the Holy Spirit will always have free reign in this church. There will be nothing weird about it. I can tell you that. We need to stop trying to script everything out and plan everything out the way we want it. We need to stop trying to box the Holy Spirit into this box. We're human. I get it. We like agendas. I like agendas. I like to see how things are going to pan out. But the one thing I have learned in my years in ministry, you can't plan with the Holy Spirit. He's going to take over at some points, and you have to just yield and go with it. We can get stuck in our routines and habits. The Holy Spirit needs to be given freedom to interrupt those routines and habits. The same spirit that hovered over the empty earth before creation happened, the same spirit that breathed life into this world, the same spirit that brought Jesus to conception in Mary's womb, the same Jesus that flowed through the Old Testament, flowed through the New Testament to the point of filling the disciples, that Holy Spirit, he wants to take over. He wants to invade every corner and every aspect of our life. The question here this morning is, in order for that to happen, will you give room for the Holy Spirit? 